Welcome into NHL at the Rink, our post-trade deadline day edition. Dan Rosen here, Sean Rourke there. Sean, are you recovered from deadline day? Halfway. Halfway. I'm halfway there. I tweeted a little earlier today. I feel a little... Today's the birthday of Slapshot, by the way, 43 years. Really? Yeah, and I feel... I didn't know that. I feel a little bit like the coach (laughs) after he puts out the bounty on McCracken's head. Okay. I want to put a pillow over my head, put the phone in the drawer, and take a nap. There you go. Well, after we're done with this, you can go do that. Can you go do that? I don't even know if you can. You got other things you got to do. Busy day. 32 trades on Monday involving 55 players. That's the most trades we've seen on an NHL trade deadline day and tied for the most players moved on trade deadline day. It was a very interesting day. And and as you said just before we started recording, after a few trade deadline day duds, this one was exciting and this one got interesting. And it extended about four hours after the deadline too because I'm sitting there at the Rangers practice facility in Westchester, New York, in Greenberg, waiting for them to make official the trade of Brady Shea to the Carolina Hurricanes for a first-round pick. And it took like four hours after the deadline went through because they were that backed up in the queue, I guess, for the trade calls. I think the Robin Lehner trade might have thrown everybody (laughs) off the tracks. That one probably took a couple of hours uh, to to process with all the the salary going in different directions, the Maple Leafs becoming involved. You know, that's the part people forget. They want this to happen so fast. There's a CBA involved. You have to have all the assets you're trying to trade. You don't want to make a trade and say it's done and then somebody go back and say hey you can't put that guy here or you don't have that draft pick so it's a very exacting process but it, it took a long time I think it was 7 30 before the final list came out yeah absolutely it, it was wild and so let's get into it a little bit let's start with the Carolina Hurricanes we're gonna have Carolina Hurricanes GM Don Waddell on this podcast very shortly they had a big day acquired Vincent Trocheck from the Florida Panthers we'll get to the Panthers later I'm not quite sure what they're thinking Brady Shea from the New York Rangers for a first-round pick, and Sammy Vatanen, who's hurt right now from the New Jersey Devils. But you know, clearly they have some injuries on their back end with Dougie Hamilton out and Brett Pesci out, and so they solve some of that with getting Brady Shea. And the hope is that Sammy Vatanen is going to be healthy enough for them down the stretch here to help them push into the playoffs. I loved what Carolina did. Now they didn't address their goaltending because Peter Morazic is, we assume, still hurt, and James Reimer as well, and they had to call up the two guys from the American Hockey League and play a, and we'll get to this one a little later on too, David Ayers, the Zamboni driving goaltender who has become famous, and he's doing a press conference right now, actually, as we record this in Carolina. What do you think of the Hurricanes' moves, though? I, I thought that they really addressed some needs and loved what Don Waddell was, was able to get accomplished. Oh, I do too. I mean, just the fact that they didn't give up, right? They didn't say, oh my God, you know, everything went out the window in one horrific day or night in Toronto. They were able to address some of the things they needed. Like you mentioned, a goalie would have been nice, but the prices and the availability didn't look all that great other than Robin Lehner, who I think, you know, may have been out of their league as far as being able to handle. There wasn't a ton there. I mean, all the other goalies that moved were, you know, small pieces that aren't going to help them at all so and the good news was that uh at least one of their goalies should be back sooner rather than later um so if they can ride out whatever they have to with the two call-ups from the ahl they might not be in that bad a place and they sent a message to their fans who have been behind them 100 percent for the last two years that they're still in it to win it and that's what look that's what tom dundon has brought to this team their owner He's opened up the checkbook a little bit. He's brought. He's he's allowed Don Waddell to go out and make these moves 
And Waddell is proving that he can make these moves. And look, there were some cap constraints too there with the Robin Lehner thing as well. And we don't know how if they even went down the road. We'll have maybe we can ask Don in a little bit uh, if they went down the road uh, with Robin Lehner there with the Blackhawks. But getting a goal, getting a goaltender, if you know your guys are going to come back healthy, maybe not as big of a deal. Getting defensemen when you know Dougie Hamilton's out for the season likely out for the season, and Brett Pesci's now out long-term as well. Very important. Brady Shea is a top-four left-handed defenseman, and they gave up a first-round pick to get him. They have two, or they should have two if Toronto's is not a top-ten pick. So good on them for, for doing what they need to do to, like you say, send a message to their fans. The other team I wanted to touch on, the New York Rangers, and I was there covering it. Now they traded Brady Shea, but they also re-signed Chris Kreider. And there was the accident with Igor Shosturkin and Pavel Buchnevich. I was there. What was it like here in the office when all that stuff was going down with the Rangers? It was crazy because you didn't know. Nobody had that accident for a long time. And then some secondary sources had it, and you didn't want to believe it. But J.D. speaking at 11 before the trade deadline led some credence to it. And then, you know, it was a two-for-one with Kreider signing because that looked grim as well. I mean, by the time you get to... Monday morning, you're thinking that they have to be open for business on Chris. They're going to have to move him. So that took one of the dominoes out of the way. And then, you know, it was awful. When when the press conference started, you didn't know what was going to happen. It, you knew it was bad news. You didn't know how bad it was. And thank God it, it wasn't awful. I mean, Shosturkin's out for a couple of weeks with a non-displaced rib fracture and Buchnevich's day-to-day. Um it could have been far worse. It could have been. And, and the good thing is what happened was the accident Sunday night in Brooklyn involving Shesterkin and Buchnevich. Uh, Shesterkin was driving. A guy, in, according to John Davidson, the, the guy in front of him made a U-turn, and there was a collision. Just both players were wearing their seatbelts. The airbags deployed. Shesterkin, like Sean said, has a non-displaced rib fracture. Buchnevich just shaken up day to day. So good thing that the Rangers have three goaltenders, right? I mean, now it kind of benefits it. And Henrik Lundqvist talked yesterday about his situation, but there may be some playing time now for Henrik Lundqvist. Yeah, and they're four points out of the playoffs. They won that last game before the trade deadline to kind of send a message to management to maybe not blow this thing up and see where they can go. Yeah, and now, look, and I I think I've said this to you before on the podcast, and if I haven't, my fault. Hank's numbers are good. Yeah. Like, for him to be exiled as a a permanent backup as they tried to get these two young kids in and find out who their number one is and maybe showcase one of their goalies, although they didn't end up trading him, you know, Hank was pushed to the side. He's got some of the best numbers of his career, especially when you look at some of the underlying numbers. There was nothing wrong with the way Hank was playing, and he's he's kind of been a hostage to this whole situation. Handled it well publicly. I don't know if he's handled it as well internally I, I would imagine he has but I would imagine that there's some and you spoke to him you could probably speak to this better than I can that there might be a little bit of lingering I don't know if resentment's the right word but a little bit of it's it's new for him it's different it's something that he has never experienced before never thought he was going to have to experience either you don't think of these things he has handled it as best as anybody could handle it publicly and John Davidson David Quinn Jeff Gordon have all praised him for his professionalism throughout this whole thing but it's hard on him. This is a guy who's used to being a number one and used to playing regularly, and he's played three times in the last 20 games. Two starts. So he hasn't started. Tonight, when they play the New York Islanders in Nassau Coliseum, it'll be his 11th straight game where he didn't start. And that's difficult for him, but, but he keeps saying uh, he's got to show up and he's got to do his job, and he's got to bring a positive energy to the team, and, and he can't pout, he can't sulk, he can't let that happen. But he knows, and he said it yesterday, and he, I think yesterday was his first real admission of understanding that his time in New York 
will be coming to an end or could be coming to an end you know, after this season when he said, management and I have to sit down and talk and determine the role after this season, if there is a role after this season. And John Davidson said the same thing. Uh, I don't know that there is, to be honest with you. They have three options with Henrik Lundqvist. One is keep him, trade the other, trade Georgiev probably. Maybe that happens. We'll see if that happens. The other one, another one is try to trade him, but he's got to waive his no move, movement clause. The other one is to buy him out. So two of those three, he's not staying with the team. That puts his odds obviously low to stay with the team. But I like the way he's handled this whole situation. And I was even able to ask him about Chris Kreider yesterday because that's a big deal with the Rangers, that Chris Kreider signed a seven-year deal, $6.5 million annually. That's, that's a change for the last two years for the Rangers when they've been selling guys off. They have now retained a guy, and that's a key thing for the Rangers. First of all, to go back to Hank for one second, the most shocking thing to me are the fans well, and the way they've just discarded him. I mean, this is a legend in the organization, and they're like, oh, well, we got two goalies now. Hank's time's done. See you later. I, I never thought I would see that day come. But then you move on to Chris Kreider, and it is huge. It's a message that we're, we're done selling. The rebuild is over. It is. I thought it was when they signed Panarin. And now it's another step in that direction, I think, that the rebuild for the Rangers is over. They believe in this team. They're, they re-signed Chris Kreider for the future, no doubt, but also for this season. Like, they, to, to show a sense of support for the team for this season, too, that they believe that they can be a playoff team. And not only that, if they don't make it, they got young kids on that team that need to be in a playoff race. So when next year comes, this isn't new to them. Two more teams before we get to Don Waddell. Uh, sticking in New York, the New York Islanders. They acquire Jean-Gabriel Pajot from Ottawa for a first-round pick in 2020, a second-round pick in 2020, and a conditional third-round pick in 2022. That third-round pick, by the way, is if they win the Stanley Cup this year, so they'll take that, no question <laughs> about it. And then Pajot, who's never played a game for the Islanders, signs a six-year contract extension. I think he's a perfect player for the Islanders, and we'll talk to Brian Compton, who co who's at the Islanders' morning skate this morning about this in a little while. I think Pajot's a perfect player. Love their center depth when you look at Matt Barzal, Brock Nelson, Pajot now, and Casey Sezikis when healthy. I just don't know if he's that big of a scorer that's going to help them offensively that much. No, and don't you want to see how he fits with the team a little bit? I thought bit he before, would want to see how he fits. <laughs> before, right? you, before you sign him, yeah. right? I, I guess maybe the thought is it's a relatively team-friendly deal. I mean, he got his money and good for him, but maybe the thought is you can trade him again if it doesn't work. Like he's going, He's a player that's going to be – going to be wanted right although I look at it like you think about the Derek Broussard trade that the that the Penguins made a couple of years ago and now he's on the Islanders like everybody was singing his praises that was the trade that was going to get him into the Stanley Cup final that was the depth center that they needed he never worked out no, it didn't he work just out. it just didn't gel with the team right so I'm interested to see what Pajot can do I I think the Islanders overpaid a little bit but they needed a scorer. If they're going to stay in this race, they need a scorer, and, and or they need an offensive guy to help some of their scorers, um, and maybe he's the guy that does it. Yeah, and he fits into the style that they play, too. You know, defensive-oriented center, uh, can produce some offense, but he certainly fits into the style. Another guy who fits into the style for the Edmonton Oilers, Andreas Athanasiu, if he's playing on the same line with Connor McDavid, I'm off the ice because there's no chance that you can keep up with those two. No, and everybody forgot that kid scored thirty goals. He's good. He scored thirty goals two years. He's awful this year. He has yeah. ten goals, but he's a he, good he's winning player. The, he's winning the green jacket. He's yeah. minus forty, whatever it yeah, is. Yeah, I know. Um, but it's Detroit. 
Everybody struggles in Detroit. But you're right. The speed is the hugest thing. One of the hardest things about playing with Connor McDavid is you can't keep up with him. This guy can. He can. This guy can, and it's going to be a scary line if they play with him. And look, Ken Holland dipped back into the old well, you know, which was interesting too. Gets Athanasiu, gets Mike Green. I don't know if Mike Green's going to do much for the Edmonton Oilers, to be honest with you. But I think Athanasiu playing with McDavid, if he defers to McDavid and and doesn't just try to do everything. And now, why wouldn't you defer to Connor McDavid Where is an easy question to ask. But this guy has a history of wanting to puck, demanding it, and, and maybe not giving it up as easily either. He's going to have to defer to McDavid, but if he does, McDavid will find him, and this guy can get back to being a 30-goal scorer again easily if he plays with McDavid. Yeah, and look, it's a, it's a different culture, right? When he was in Detroit, he was one of the guys. It was him and Dylan Larkin, and he didn't have to give the puck to anybody. He could literally say, the puck's best in my hands. He can't say that now. The puck's best in Connor McDavid's hands. It's best in... Leandro Seidel's hands it's not best in his hands so he has some options and there is going to be some pressure there from the coach from the players from the organization to not be that guy and and clearly Kenny thinks that he can revert back to who he was And, and look Edmonton has to be over the moon the fans after such a long time of just being a punching bag and being out of the playoffs and even that one year they made it they didn't really do anything to to make it better Kenny's like, hey, we're going to the playoffs. I got to give this team something. If we can get past the first round in the Pacific Division, who knows what can happen? And he he stocked them for a playoff run. You don't know what Green's going to do. A, the two things he's going to do is he might be help on that second power play. And B, he gives them another defenseman. You're going to run out of defensemen in the playoffs. If I got to put Mike Green in my lineup because somebody's hurt, I'm okay with that. Yeah, and they also got Tyler Ennis, too, just another depth forward as well, cheap depth forward to get. But let's get to our first guest. We got Don Waddell, general manager of the Carolina Hurricanes, certainly had a busy Monday acquiring Vincent Trocek, Brady Shea, Sammy Vatanen. Lots going on with Carolina goaltending, and David Ayers is there. So, Don, thank you so much for joining us. How's everything today? I'm excellent. Thank you, guys. So you guys had a big day yesterday on the trade deadline day, getting uh, Trocek, Brady Shea, Sammy Vatanen. Why did you feel the need to do it all? Like, what was the impetus to get all of this done uh, on Monday? Well, starting with uh, Trocek, you know, we've been looking for uh, probably a year, year and a half for a right-hand shot centerman that could complement uh, Ajo and Stahl on the uh, left side so that could take base up on the left side. So uh, Vinny uh, fit that bill, and when he we started talking to teams and found out that he potentially could be available, we pursued it pretty hard. And he certainly kind of evens out your forwards and, and is allowed to everybody with the addition of Justin Williams and some of the other ads you've made to kind of allow Brindamore to put everything in the order that it needs to be for the playoffs, right? Yeah, no doubt about it. And then, you know, on the, on the back end, you know, we lost Hamilton 10-12 games ago, and that was a big loss. You're not going to replace uh, that type of player. But uh, and then Pesci went down the other night. We're not sure if it's going to be two weeks or the rest of the season. We'll know more in the next few days. So we, we, we felt that we owed it to our players, to our fans, to try to, if we could do something that made sense, to try to add to the blue line. And that's why we made the moves for Brady and uh, Sammy. With Brady, I am I mean, I, I've seen him a lot in New York. Do you view him jumping in for you guys right now as a top four guy, one of your top two on the left because of some of the injuries that you got there? Yeah, 100%. We're gonna, he's going to jump right in there with uh, Slavin. We'll move Slavin over to the right side to play the offside and put uh, Brady right up in that uh, first pair with uh, 
with uh, Slavin. So, uh, no, we've, he'll, he'll play big minutes here. Hopefully we don't wear him out, but uh, we'll get him going starting tonight. He's young. It'll be okay. Have you um, have you gotten any clarity on Hamilton? Do you, do you expect him back at all? Well, you know, they said uh, 10 to 12 weeks. That takes you right. Uh, 10 weeks takes you to the end of uh, March. 12 weeks takes you into the first week of the playoffs. So we're hoping at some point that we will get him back, whether uh, we can get him back before the regular season or or once the playoffs start, uh, any time that we can get him if we're playing hockey, it's going to be a nice addition for us. And what are you hearing on the prognosis for Sammy Vatanen, too? Well, I'll, I'll know more uh, today because we're flying him in here. You'll see our doctors and that. But, you know, New Jersey had sent us all the medical uh, records. Uh, we know that uh, he's just got some pain with putting his uh, hockey skate on because of where the small fracture was. That, uh so I think it's more of a, from what I understand, a pain-sensitive thing, and we'll know more once we get him here and get him through all the medicals with us. Don, you did so much on the deadline, and nobody can knock you, but a lot of people going into it thought maybe because of the injuries that happened in Toronto that you might be in the market for a goalie. There weren't a ton that moved. I'm wondering what the market was for goalies and, and where you were in it. Yeah, certainly we had some conversations, but we, we felt very comfortable. You know, we, we started a year with what we thought four quality NHL goalies with uh, – Big Ned down in Charlotte, who won the uh, Calder Cup last year as the MVP. You know, we've been waiting to get him some games this year. Just we haven't had that opportunity because both guys have stayed healthy. And then we traded for Anton Forsberg last year. We thought he'd be competing for the job, and you know, it's worked out the same way that there hasn't been that opportunity. So, to, and he's got NHL experience. So to have those two guys as your three and four goalies in your system. Bringing them in here, we feel very comfortable that they're capable of doing the job until our guys return. So uh, we did talk about goaltending, but we weren't in a position that we felt we wanted to pay a, a price to, to bring in a goalie um, because we felt comfortable with the guys we have. Well, you have five NHL goalies, really, if you count David Ayers, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we'll get to that in a moment, but I did want to ask you about the goalies, Mrazek and Reimer. And as we ask you for all the health updates, let's get the health updates on those two as well. Yeah, uh, first with James Reimer, he's made a lot of progress just in a few days, and uh, he's pretty much uh, starting to be, uh, the swelling's gone down and pain-free, and he'll, you know, initially the time frame was 10 to 14 days, and I think we're certainly within that at this point. Um, Razik's feeling much better, doesn't have any headaches, his, his neck's been real sore from uh, the collision and uh, so we think that's you know right now we're pretty optimistic that he's not going to miss more than probably this week of hockey oh well that's that's good news for the two of them no doubt big picture before we get to david Ayers and the david Ayers show uh in carolina right now this was something you make all these moves at at the deadline and i i read some of your comments and heard some of your comments you know in your post-deadline press conference that you you needed to do these things to show the guys right so did you get a? Is there a different energy even just in the building today because of all these things that have gone on? Yeah, there's, there's no doubt about it. The locker room this morning we've had a lot of uh, lively uh, chatter going on about, and you know, a lot of players came up and said, "Wow, you guys have really stepped up to help us." And you know, we're right in the thick of things. You know, we got to win hockey games to get in the playoffs. And you know, even before the Pesci injury, we we said we were looking if we could add that other defenseman to help our core. So. With the injury there, we just really thought that the way these guys have played throughout the year, the way that we played on Saturday night, that you know we have something going here, and we want to 
give our players the best opportunity to, to succeed as we uh, go down the home stretch. So now we have to get to David Ayers. And the first thing I want to ask you is, do you think there's a trickle-down effect from that game and the fact that you guys won? I mean, you look at some of the videos of them on the ice after the game in the pig pile with him and then in the locker room with the speech and everything else that went on. I mean, this was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, not only for him, but for a lot of your players. And it kind of said a lot about the organization that they were able to pull this out. Do you think this is something that the team can feed off of going forward? No doubt about it. The way, And more importantly, you know, the way the guys responded to David coming in the game and then how they played is the most remarkable thing from my end, you know, because we come in the game and all of a sudden the score is 4-1 and all of a sudden, boom, boom, it's 4-3. We go in and miss that way. And you know, the guys right in the room said, David, you just have to stop a few shots for us. We're going to get you some goals. We're going to win this hockey game. So the way we rebounded, and you know, we could have felt sorry for ourselves in the third period, but we didn't. We came out and probably played the best period we played all season. Be honest, though. How were you feeling when you saw him come into the game? Well, you know, we had all our scouts here in town, um, so I wasn't at the game. I was watching <laughs> that TV with my wife, and it was uh, – I was a little nervous. When the first shot went in, I got uh, a little more nervous. And then the <laughs> second shot goes in, and uh, it's 4-3 at that time, and then we made it out of the period the last four or five minutes. And, you know, I, I actually said, you know, I got a good feeling about how this is going to end. And I certainly didn't know. I thought it would be, you know, maybe a higher scoring game at that point. But, uh, again, I give all the credit to our players uh playing in front of David because they did a great job with it. And i got to give your, your organization a lot of credit, too, for what you guys have done since with David Ayers. I mean, he, he's now in Carolina. He did the media tour in New York yesterday. He's doing it today. He's going to you know, do the siren tonight. I mean, just the the entire – it's more than 15 minutes of fame. I mean, this is, this is, a, this is a huge deal, and this guy's you know, loving every second of it. What, what, have you, what have your interactions been like with him? Yeah, it's been. Uh, I had the first opportunity this morning to spend some time with him and his wife, Sarah. Uh, you know, he's just a down to earth, really good guy, really appreciative of everything going on. You know, when we started getting the calls on Sunday about some of the national shows that he was in New York yesterday. You know, we said, let's, let's support this, grab it, run with it, and, you know, have some fun with it also. And so I, I give credit to my team for putting together a lot of the ideas and, you know, we've gone, uh, as you probably know, we're selling T-shirts. We're over 10000 now. Um, and we're going to donate money back to uh, some charities that he's involved with. So it, it's, I think the, the, the end result has uh, been a lot of fun to follow. And uh, I think there's still a few more fun days to have out of this. And that's what your organization is now. I mean, you've been around hockey for a long time. Carolina, I think, as much as anybody, maybe Vegas is in that conversation too, has really kind of embraced the the changing dynamic of hockey. I mean, a lot of people would walk away from, from having to use an emergency goaltender and say, oh, well, that was nice. Let's put the focus back on the team. You guys have embraced it like you've embraced all the other things that have happened, and, and it's clearly a different dynamic. Um, and like I said, you're, you know, you've know you been around since the very beginning. As you see it change, what are your thoughts? Well, you know, I think a change in the organization when Tom Dundon took over and bought the team, you know, he's a pretty young, energetic guy that had some – probably different ideas than we've seen in the hockey world. And, you know, uh, the players bought into it. And, you know, even the storm surges, a lot of people want to take credit for that, but that was the players, you know, 
Justin Williams, led by Justin Williams, to have some fun with it, to respond to our fans. And you know, I can't say enough about what our players have done, not only with the Storm Series, but within this community, because you know we had gone nine years without making the playoffs. We made the playoffs, and it was great. But the way they've interacted and continued that presence in this marketplace is a very uh, direct reflection of how our attendance been this year. So, you know, the fans have bought in, our players are bought in, and the end result is we want to give ourselves the best opportunity to have success in this market. I do have to ask, though, especially with the general manager's meetings coming up next week, do you think this emergency goaltending situation is going to be looked at, uh, you know, and, and maybe addressed? It's such a great story, uh, certainly, and great for the Carolina Hurricanes, great for the NHL. I mean, this guy's a national, in the national spotlight, bringing attention to the Hurricanes and the NHL. But in the long run, do you do you think it can it will be addressed this emergency goaltending system? Do you think it needs to change? Uh, where do you where do you land on that? Yeah, I'm not sure it needs to be changed. I, I, I know it's going to be addressed. You know, we all want to talk about it because it obviously could have went the other way and been disaster, but. You think about it, since we've put this rule in place, we've had over 20,000 games, and there's been three times that we've had to use emergency goalies, and certainly this was the longest one that any emergency goalies played. So it's it, you know it's pretty much a very abnormal thing. Uh, but I do think we, we need to talk about it, and just make sure that we all feel comfortable with whatever direction we decide to go in. Have you been made an honorary North Carolinian yet? <laughs> <laughs> Or is that just David gets that honor? <laughs> yeah, you know, we, we actually got, had the mayor give a proclamation. This is uh, David Ayers Day to Day in Raleigh, and the governor's doing the uh, same kind of proclamation later today. So, you know, you know, last year, as you guys know, we went through a bunch of jerk things, and uh, <laughs> every year we've had something uh, that we've been able to capitalize. And again, I give credit to our PR staff and our marketing staff for. Uh, being supportive and being ready for these types of uh, opportunities that do present themselves. Keeping it interesting on and off the ice. We love it, Don. Thanks so much for joining us, all right? Yeah, always a pleasure, guys. Thank you. Definitely thank Don for joining us. Good to get all the injury updates, uh, his line of thinking uh, Monday with all the trades. And, it's Sean, it's never a bad thing to keep talking about David Ayers, is it? No, it's a great story. It's you. It's me. It's anybody. We all dream about that moment, and he gets to live it. And I love that Carolina's letting him live it. I, they, absolutely, I think it's great. Like you, let this man have his moment, and look, like, profit off of it too, if you can. Both, you know, with just goodwill, uh, you know, notoriety, and you know, you're helping out some charity, and you're putting a little money in your own pocket too. The guy's a kidney transplant survivor. His mom gave him his kidney. It's a great story. It should be told over and over for as long as we live. Absolutely. So let's move on, though. The team that they, one of the teams they they traded with, Florida Panthers, give them Vincent Trocheck, and it's their direct like rival almost. They're fighting for playoff spots and all of it. It's funny what Carolina did, by the way. They make a trade with Florida, who they're in a way battling for a playoff spot. They make a trade with the Rangers, who they're battling for a playoff spot with now. And I think they end up on the better end of both of these deals. They get Trocek from Florida, and they do give up Eric Howla and Lucas Walmark and a pair of prospects. I'm trying to figure out what Florida is doing here. They're blowing up the room. Look, Florida is better than they've played. They've been horrible coming out of the All-Star break. They haven't played well at all. The, the core has begged to stay together for years. Oh, we're, we're right on the cusp. They went out, they got a 
a, a big name goalie. They went out. And they got a big name coach, and they're not delivering. And I think Dale Talon said, "You know what? Enough's enough. Here's the hand grenade. I'm going to drop in the middle of the room, and I'm going to take Trocheck, who's been with you guys forever and is part of that big core, and he's out of here. And if you don't wake up now, then really big changes are coming in the summer." Yeah, absolutely. That's that's got to be what it is. And look, it's not like they got slouches here. Eric Halla is a good player when healthy. He's got some playoff experience. Uh, you, you know, Lucas Walmark, another one. He's a good depth forward with some playoff experience. So maybe this that change in dynamic right there can spark them. But you are giving up the best player in the trade. There's no question about that. No, there's no question about that. But you know what? Hopefully Huberto and Barkoff and all those guys are, are upset about it. They're mad about it, and they're going to play mad now. I think that's what Dale Talon wants to see. And he's done the same thing in Chicago when when they were at their their heights. Whenever he saw a little bit of staleness in the team, he, he made a move to kind of wake them up. I, I think sometimes teams need that, and it'll be interesting to see what Florida does now. One move that didn't get made yesterday, Joe Thornton didn't get traded from the San Jose Sharks, and there was a report from Kevin Kurz of The Athletic saying that Joe might not be too happy about that, that this wasn't him saying no to Doug Wilson, don't trade me. This was a trade that just never material materialized for Joe Thornton. Uh, I think by hearing that, to me it says that Joe Thornton is pretty close to being done here with the San Jose Sharks, realizes where they are right now and says, I want to take a shot at this again. And I know he's welcome back there in San Jose. Doug Wilson has said that. I can't imagine he goes back to San Jose for another year. Well, I think the the thing that he wanted to do was get out of there, have his run, and then sign for a farewell tour in San Jose again next year, right? Mm-hmm. Like, but He's, you don't always get what you want. And, and and the thing we talked about this in the lead up to the to the trade deadline, where's the market? Well, like everybody yeah. was trying to drum up a market. Where where's I, I'm a little surprised that Patrick Marlowe, his running mate, moved. But I understand that a little bit with Pittsburgh. They're, they're trying to reorganize their forward lines, and I think Patrick can help them a little bit. But where's the market for a fourth-line center, is, which is what he would be, I think, on any playoff team on the back three of his career, not even the back nine? Yeah, no, and maybe that's why the trade n- never happened because – there was never a market, and the Sharks aren't just going to give him away. That that doesn't look good either. You no, know? they got a first-round pick for, for Barclay Goodrow. Goodrow so, yeah. so clearly they were playing hardball, and, and to me that's one of the wins of the trade that day. Absolutely. I mean, I know it's a, it's, it's a high first-round, a low first-round pick, however you want to look, with Tampa Bay. But to get a first-round pick in a trade for Barclay Goodrow, who is a nice player, and he will play a, a solid role for the Tampa Bay Lightning. And, and I know Julian Breezeball has talked about how he's just hitting the peak of his career right now. He's a cheap centerman. Uh, he can play on their third or winger. He can play on their third or fourth line, most likely their fourth line. But it seemed like a lot to give up for that type of player. But that's where Tampa Bay is right now, yeah. if you think about it. you know They don't care about their draft picks. They're not thinking about their future. Based off of what happened to them last year, they're trying to make sure that they have all their ducks in a row here as they go into the playoffs, and you have all the depth that you need, and if it, that's the cost, then that's the cost. And nobody will complain if they're holding that big silver jug no. come June <laughs> the, about that first-round pick that'll be number 31 in the draft. Well, exactly, and really, what's the difference? If that was a second-round pick, you know, we're, we're not probably having this conversation all that much, but you mentioned Patrick Marlowe going to the Pittsburgh Penguins. Can he keep up with the Pittsburgh Penguins? Marlowe's skating has always been a hallmark of, of his career, but he's an old guy now, and the Penguins like to go. Can he keep up with this team? 
Is he any slower, either nimbly or of mind, than Chris Kunitz? No. No. And, and, I, and I look how good Chris Kunitz fit on that team. They bring back Kaneshiri. Look, I think Pittsburgh is going to be one of the most interesting teams in the next little while as they kind of try and reorder their forwards and figure out how they're going to go 12 across. But I, I think there's a place for two months, three months, if they're lucky, that, that Patrick Marlowe fits in for sure. He's going to play with two of the best-thinking centers in the NHL, if he gets that, chance. if he gets that opportunity, and and, and I he, think he will, whether he whether he cashes in on it or not is a different story. Uh, but I think he will get that opportunity. Well, he might. I'm not. I'm not locking that in. But you mentioned Chris Kunitz. Chris Kunitz couldn't keep up with them at the end of his career, and he went to Tampa, and he couldn't keep up there either. And he could keep up with uh, Crosby and play the game that Crosby plays because he thought the game so well. And and I'm not saying that Marlowe doesn't, but. It is going to be interesting to see how that whole dynamic. Because remember, they also got Connor Sheary in there and Evan Rodriguez as well from he, the Sabers. He kept up with the Maple Leafs. That's a pretty fast team. Yeah, and the guy, especially the guys he was running with. He did last year was tougher. Yeah. Last year was tougher. Look, his legs are eventually going to go right. They are, and and you're right. Maybe for a couple of months, and they didn't give up a lot to get him. Why not take that opportunity to bring that guy into your locker room? Can't hurt. He's a wily veteran. He's a wily veteran. Right. So another wily player, the Golden Knights get Robin Lehner. I, and I don't know if uh, you saw the tweets that Robin Lehner was putting out. Oh, he's a beauty. He is terrific. You know, the, so he put out a tweet. It was the I'm trying to remember. It was the it was a picture of the Tavares uh, bed sheets, right? With, with a panda. With in a it. panda in it, because that's what they call him, the panda. And he said, no, I'm sorry, Toronto, not happening this time or something along those lines. Going to Vegas. He put out a picture of his of his pads and what they could look like, asking for feedback to see if fans would like them or not. This guy's a beauty. The best one was the early one where he said, nice, calm, sunny day in, yeah. in St. Louis, which is where Chicago was. And he had the little emoji with the sunglasses. And at the time, clearly he knew, but nobody else knew that he was going to the desert. And I have to say, if you were to line up the 31 teams or the 30 other teams and say, where's Robin Lehner going on the trade deadline? Vegas is in that bottom five probably probably they the golden knights blow me away they just blow me away they don't care about the future they're a third year organization <laughs> they've traded so much draft capital so many prospects but they don't care because they're they're already competitive and they can win and they might be after this homestand and that game against tampa bay at home they might be the best team in the west right now well i mean they're certainly they might be the best team in the pacific i still have to give the West to St. Louis at this point. St. Louis stood pat, didn't do anything. They should get Tarasenko back hopefully at some point. But you look at Robin Lehner and the Vegas Golden Knights, what's great about this is they're, they have a true number one goalie, right? Like the, the locked and loaded true number one goalie in Marc-Andre Fleury that nobody's questioning, nobody. But they don't like their depth behind them. So they say, we're going to go out and get the best possible guy we can get. And we don't care. That, you know, oh, he might only play five games. Who cares? But this now lines up better for us than it did before when it was Malcolm Subban. And no offense to Malcolm Subban. Robin Lehner's a better goaltender. No question about it right now. So they're just making sure that everything is, is slotted the way they need it to be to go on a cup run because that is the ultimate goal. And anything short of that in Vegas is a disappointment now. And let's not forget that out of the last three cup runs that Marc-Andre Fleury's gone on, he's been hurt in two of them. Yeah. 
So you so, better have yeah, some you better insurance. have somebody. Absolutely. The Boston Bruins have two goalies. That works out for them in the regular season. Tuka Rask takes it in the playoffs last year. And let's let's get to the Bruins before right before we get to our next guest, Brian Compton, who's at the New York Islanders morning skate. The Bruins stood didn't you know they trade Danton Heinen, they get Nick Ritchie on deadline day, but before that, getting Andre Kasha from the Anaheim Ducks, is he a top six? forward for them is a question that I've been asked by a number of people and my answer is I don't know if he is a top six talent right now in his NHL career but if he plays with David Krejci when he's healthy he's a top six forward because of how good David Krejci is he's a perfect fit for them for that reason just the the chemistry that they're sure to have they've played together on the national team in the Czech Republic and you know that's been the question for the Bruins forever. Who's going to be that top six guy? And along the way, they get David Backus out of their room. Not that they needed to get David Backus out of their room. And, and I hope probably more than anybody that he does really well in Anaheim and has the closure that he wants to his career. Um, but it was something that they needed to do. And I think that was part of why the cost was so high. Um, but the Bruins didn't need to do anything. The Bruins are a pretty complete team as they are. They go seven deep on the blue line. They go 12 deep forward-wise, and they might have the best goaltending tandem. I guess maybe you could throw Dallas in there um, of any of the teams that are going to make it into the playoffs. So, you know, I think it was Bruce Cassidy who said, we really like our team, and he should. And he should. They're, they're a terrific team. 1A, 1B at this point with the Tampa Bay Lightning, I think, is the, you know in, in the Eastern Conference. The Capitals have fallen off a little bit. We'll see what the Penguins do with all these the forwards that they added. I thought the Bruins might try to get Chris Kreider, who obviously didn't go anywhere. Uh, but when they made the Kasha trade, I thought that they were out on Kreider. Then you hear that Kreider might be available, and I said, well, could Boston get back in? I don't can, think so. Can you even fathom what the price would be if that was the price for Pajot? Speaking of Pajot, Sean, let's get to talking about J.G. Pajot with Brian Compton, our next guest. Uh, he's at the New York Islanders morning skate this morning. They play the Rangers tonight at Nassau Coliseum. Brian is out of the room right now, so he jumps on the phone with us. Brian, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you boys? Well, you called J.G. Pajot to the Islanders. You, you, I don't know if I called it. I was did. banging on the drum for two months. It's nice to see that I'm right once in a while, though. Yeah, I, take credit when you can. Exactly. Brian. It doesn't yeah, come exactly. No, very I often. should because it never ever happens. So I'm going to take credit. <laughs> what do you think of the deal and, and the signing too? I was I, I I kind of was floored that he signed with them without playing a single game. Yeah, I spoke to him this morning, and he said, you know, he was really floored by the, the, the offer that the Islanders made to Ottawa just to get him, and that was enough to bypass July first. He's excited to be here. He's going to go house hunting later this week. Um, I love this move, obviously, fellas. Um, that It was a gaping hole, that third-line center, ever since Sokol had signed with Detroit. So uh, it's nothing against Derek Broussard. He's actually going to play tonight on the wing, where he's better suited at this stage of his career. Um, JG is a guy who plays in all situations. Dynamite for Ottawa in the playoffs a few years back, as you know, Danny. So uh, this is a massive, massive pickup. You know, the teams that went in the playoffs are the ones that are really deep down the middle. One through four, once Casey Sezikis comes back from his injury, down is going to be pretty low to the center. Did you give him house recommendations, neighborhoods maybe? But uh, I told him about my neighborhood, but I think he's looking for some <laughs> a little more upscale. So we're probably looking more at Garden City, Manhattan. That's where the bulk of the guys live. I cannot afford to live there, as you know, Sean. I'll, I'll take care of it. <laughs> you, you know, Brian, you did mention, though, he was floored by the offer that the Islanders gave to Ottawa to get him. Yeah. I was, too. 
<laughs> to be honest with you. Well, yeah, you're right. And I, I think had they not announced the extension a few minutes later, I think people would have had a solid argument. Look, Lou, once he signed Anders, Jordan Eberle, and Brock Nelson for those long-term deals last summer, guys, that's he's basically telling everybody we're in this to win now. And if you're in it to win now, uh, I know picks are a, are a premium price. I get it. But you can't worry about a guy who's not going to help you until 2024, 25. Uh, if you're trying to win now, uh, you can always try to figure it out later. Um, like I said, this, this was a massive hole that they had to fill, and they got the best guy available on the market to fill that role. Huge. Do you believe they can win it now? That's a pretty tough East. It is. Uh, I like their chances a whole lot better than you know two weeks ago before they got it. And that's the other thing, too, Sean. Like, Andy Green, that's almost as big a pickup as Pajot, to be honest, because once Adam Pellet got hurt, um, that was a pretty big hole to fill. And they were asking Noah Dobson, who's, what, 19 years old, uh, to play 16, 17 minutes a night. He's just not ready to do that yet. I think he showed glimpses of that. Um, but you bring in a guy like Andy Green, who's a, a veteran guy, does pretty much all the same things that Adam Pellick does, uh, blocks a ton of shots, can chip in offensively occasionally, uh, battle tested in the playoffs, helping Jersey make the final in 2012. Uh, that is a huge upgrade. So they upgraded. They, they filled the two biggest – uh, holes that they had, Pajot certainly w- was the best uh, to fill. You know the hole at the at the third line center, and Andy Green was among the better deadline pickups on defense. You know, and I kept saying that I thought they needed a, another scoring winger, but I get. I mean, Lou obviously looked at it as the need for a center. I just wonder, and my biggest question with this is not as I think Pajot's a terrific player. I just with this team's need to score, uh, you know, their their lack of scoring when especially when they play solid, you know, better teams that are better than the San Jose Sharks and the Detroit Red Wings, who they each just scored four against in those games, is he that much of an upgrade offensively that he's going to help them that in that department get over the hump there and be a you know be able to score four or five in a game when they need to? Well, let me ask you this: Who's now the Islanders' leading goal scorer? It's Pajot. It's, it's got to it be. Yeah, but how many goals does he have in the last two months? Well, no, he slowed down for sure. He's got 24 goals. It's 24 goals. And, um, again, you know, he plays in all situations. I think as long as the Islanders can get back to allowing one to two goals a game, uh, the guys that they have now, I think that they can get three. I mean, that's the team that they've assembled basically since the start of last year. That's how they won games last year. What, they go 38-2-2 last season when they scored at least three goals. So, um, and their record is pretty good in that aspect as well this year as well, fellas. So, um, you know, we, we saw, the, I think, the, the worst is behind them after that rotten road trip that they had where they scored two goals in four games. Obviously, they need to produce more than that if they're going to not only make the playoffs but go on a run. Um, but I think the balance that Pajot brings um, is going to help them immensely offensively. And Anders Lee is finally starting to get going a little bit. The guy that needs to start scoring goals, fellas, is Matt Barzell. I mean, I, I think he has two in the last 25. Um, that's not going to cut it. It's just not. So if, if Mac can start putting more pucks in that, it's going to bode well for them you know, moving forward here. Yeah, I'm racking my brain, and that's always a difficult exercise. But I can't think. <laughs> I can't think of another team that's a solid playoff team that their leading goal scorer would have 24 goals at this point in the season. Yeah, I mean, look, yeah. but this this is how they win games. They win low scoring games, and that's those are the teams that win the play. You don't win seven six in the playoffs. I mean, and they're going to be playing. And they're not going to be the only team when I say this, but they're going to they're, they're going to be playing playoff hockey from now until April sixth or whenever the season ends, guys. So um, I think it's going to bowl well if, if he can fit in seamlessly, and I think he's going to. 
Um, and Casey Zizekas will hopefully be back in a couple of weeks. If, if, as long as they don't get hit hard by the injury bug down the stretch, I think they're going to be a tough out in the playoffs. What about the entire division? Let, I mean, you look at the entire division, right? Washington adds Brendan Dillon and Ilya Kovalchuk. Pittsburgh got Zucker, Sherry, Rodriguez, Marlowe. The Flyers had a couple of depth ads in Derek Grant and Nate Thompson. You know, we know what the Islanders did. Columbus, you know, kind of stood pat, but Carolina made big additions. The Rangers kept Chris Kreider. Where you know the, the, this division? I mean, it it's it it was the best, and after the trade deadline, to me, it looks even better right now. Yeah, it's crazy, right? And obviously, the Rangers signing Kreider, which we talked about the last time you guys had me on. That's you, as you know better than I do, Danny. To have him post deadline here, uh, where where they're still very much in the mix, it's going to be interesting to see if if Georgia can carry the load here over the next few weeks. But um, you're right, Jim Rutherford is always busy at this time of year, and. Uh, you know, I've liked the Flyers ever since last summer with the hiring of, of Inyo, and I love Provorov, uh, and Carter Hart to me is one of the better young goalies in the league, so they have a lot of pieces, and, you know, I, was cur- I, I liked what Carolina did yesterday, guys, but I was just kind of surprised with all the moves that they made, they didn't get a goalie, which is really, uh, their biggest need. Um, I thought once, uh, you know, Robin, Robin Leonard's name was flowing about, I've, I've said since last year, after he didn't sign with the Islanders, man, that was, Carolina would be a perfect spot for Robin Leonard. I, I couldn't believe that he's actually in Vegas now, but, uh, yeah, this, this division's crazy. Uh, and your heart just goes out to John Tortorella. I mean, those, that team could not catch a break and what a job he's done to keep them in the mix. It's crazy. The, uh, the Rangers Islanders match tonight as we're recording yeah. this. It's going to have the most juice that it's had in a long time. There's a lot on the line tonight and for the rest of the season. Yeah, uh, the barn's going to be rocking for sure. And interesting. I'll be curious to see if uh, if Kreider plays. He obviously missed practice yesterday with an illness. Uh, they need him, obviously, because they're obviously, uh, you know, he's one of their better players for sure. And, uh, you know, the Rangers, I know some, pe- some people are probably surprised by what they've been able to do. Uh, but... David Quint, to me, is a, is a really, really good coach. And Panarin, I mean, Danny has the pleasure of watching him every night. He's just so fantastic. He really is. And Ryan Strom is having a hell of a year. He's a really good guy. And uh, has been a judge and fantastic, too. They have a lot of weapons. Ryan Strom's going to get paid. Oh, yeah. Ryan Strom is going to get awesome. a good good fair bit. And it's helpful that yep. he's playing with Artemi Panarin. There's no question about that. Yep. What about the Buffalo Sabres? I'm sitting here. Sean said he was racking his brain. I'm racking my brain trying to figure out what the Buffalo Sabres were doing. Uh, you know, like they acquire Wayne Simmons, a rental ad, and they trade Connor Sherry and Evan Rodriguez for Dominic Cahoon. They dispose of Zach Bogosian. They're 10 points out as we record this. They've been winning games. Brian, where are you? with? The, were you scratching your head a little bit too on the Sabres? I haven't been able to figure them out all season. Honestly, uh, I think their, their biggest issue has been Jeff Skinner. I mean, they gave him a massive payday, uh, and he, to me, hasn't come close to what, to what they're paying him. Um, if he can get going here, I know he scored the other day. If he can get going down the stretch, maybe they somehow stay in the mix. Um, but I, I, it just seems like they can't get out of their own way. I don't know where the direction is going here. Um, but having said that, I think Simmons can certainly help him. He's a gritty guy. It's great to see Kyle Coso get going here offensively. He's such a good guy. He's been through so much. Um, but I just don't know if the, if the Sabres are going to be playing beyond the regular season here. And I don't know that the Simmons move was made for that. I, I, look, that's part of it. Maybe Jason Botterill sees him 
as an answer for another year or two and wants to have the first chance to sign him come free agency. I don't know that that's the case, but I, I think Buffalo thinks they're better than they are and, and a very after a very good start, again, you know, I think they think that's who their team is. Yeah, and, it, and I think they have to ask themselves, why does this keep happening? Like, why do we get off the good starts and then the wheels kind of fall off? I mean, how many times have we seen Jack Eichel smash his pick across the goalpost late in the game, right? It's just, it's happening way too often. He's such a terrific player. Um, he's unquestionably the MVP of that team, and I think he should be in the heart mix just because of how he even kept them in the mix with, with the way that they've played defensively for a, a good portion of the year. So, um, yeah, you're right about Simmons. Maybe he sticks around for a little bit. It, you, you can never have enough character guys, Sean, and he'll certainly help in that department. Yeah, that could be a, a culture-changing ad, too, yeah. right? Like the, yep. the, the kind of guy that you bring in because he, pl- he does it one way uh, and he does it the right way. Uh, for years now so maybe maybe that's the thing with Buffalo and maybe that's why Botterill got him it was just kind of hard to figure out everything that they that they were doing there uh, yesterday I wanted to go back to the Islanders with you so you were there this morning is there a new energy around that team there was a huge buzz there there really really was and Derek Broussard said as much afterwards and they're really excited and I spoke to Matt Martin about it too because last year if you guys remember they didn't do anything at the deadline and I think the players kind of sped off it. I think they took it as a, as a compliment uh, and ran with it and obviously, you know, had home ice for the first time since 1988 and then swept the Penguins, and obviously we know what happened after that. But, uh, you know, you, you could just tell that they had a, a boost of energy this morning. And Matt said they kind of take both as a compliment. They took last year when Lou didn't do anything as a compliment, and they're taking this year as a compliment. The faith that Lou is showing in them and putting all his chips to, to the table there and saying, we're going for it, boys. Um, I think they're going to feed off this, no question. They're really, really excited to bring in a guy like J.G. Pesto. It's amazing how adaptable the players are, huh? (laughs) (laughs) No matter what management does, that was great. Yeah, yeah. Well, then lose your boss. I can't believe we didn't do anything. This sucks. But, I mean, they're always going to say the right thing. When when lose your boss, you've got to say the right thing. Exactly. (laughs) So you've confirmed now that Lou is awake. Lou is awake. Uh, I've, been, I've been trying to convince everybody all year that he's awake. Guy kind of knows what he's doing. His resume speaks for itself. The fans don't want to hear that stuff. Well, he's definitely awake. You're awake. The Islanders are awake. And we are looking forward to seeing them play against the Rangers tonight and see what they can do. Brian, thanks so much for joining us. All right, man? Thanks for having me, boys. Take care. Thanks to Brian for joining us. You can follow Brian on Twitter at NHL. And, Sean, we've talked so much about the teams that did things. How about some of the head scratchers, the teams maybe that didn't do anything or just left us, as I said, scratching our head. Toronto Maple Leafs top the list, right? I mean, they have to top the list. I'm still scratching my head. <laughs> I might need some head and shoulders. Um, look, I, I, congrats to Kyle Dubas to come out after the trade deadline. Look, they signed Muzzin. They don't move Barry, who, who a lot of people thought might move. All of this, by the way, comes in the wake of losing the game to the Carolina Hurricanes and, and David Ayers and, and just complete panic in the streets of Toronto. How can you not score against a Zamboni driver, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, I don't know where this team is. I don't know what to do. I'm not going to BS you guys. I don't know that I have the answer right now. All I know is all the hardships that we've gone through will pay off in the end in the character of this team. And they've been through some hardships. He hasn't been in charge for all of them, but they've been through three awful awful playoff eliminations. They've been through a ton of other stuff. and, and, And now, you know, they're falling out of the race. 
them, Florida, nobody's decided who wants who to wants take it, a hold right? of it. But they're falling out of the race when they were when Sheldon Keith came in and they got on that hot run. All of a sudden, they were talking about unseating the the De- either the Bruins and the Lightning as the number one pick in the Atlantic. That's a pipe dream now, and he doesn't know what to do. And and I, that's a horrible place for a GM to be. But I like the honesty, like of you course. said. And, and and he's look. I think he's right when he says there are few team, very few teams that once they acquire top draft picks that boom they become championship teams i mean it doesn't happen that fast look at the washington capitals and how long it took them and how many playoff hardships they had to go through before they learned the right way you have to play all the time and that's what the the toronto maple leafs are going through right now heck i mean the tampa bay lightning are going through that right now you know it's a great analogy because they don't Toronto doesn't play the right way. They don't. Right? They they play the right way to keep their fans happy. You're going to go see a like look They're that fun Carolina to watch. that Carolina game even before the goalies got hurt looked like it was going to be a 6-4 game. And if you're paying money to go see a game and it ends 6-4 and there's 10 goals and two of them are beautiful goals by Austin Matthews, you walk out and you got your money's worth. But that's one game. Yeah. You got to play 82 and you got to win more of them than you lose and and then when you get to the playoffs it's a whole different game and they don't know how to play that game yet and they're still learning and but they can learn. Alex Ovechkin learned. They can learn. That's exactly it's exactly the point is it's going to take some time. This time is never on their side in Toronto. No. It's just never on their side. Another head scratcher for me. You look at the the Central Division. St. Louis pretty stood pat. Colorado added Vladislav Nemestnikov, but otherwise stood pat. And I wonder if, because Chris Kreider signed with the Rangers, if that was the move Colorado was going to make, and they didn't make it, and they they didn't do anything. Dallas stood pat. Winnipeg stood pat pretty much. Nashville didn't do anything. That's the top five teams in the Central Division, and they pretty much the same as today as they as they were when they went into you know before the deadline. Like it's it's kind of interesting how none of those teams made a move. To try to push ahead. But two of them are going to make moves. St. Louis is going to get Tarasenko yeah. back. And Colorado is going to get four players back. Yes. Including a Well, they're the top two teams in the league. Yeah. In the division for a reason. Yeah. yeah. So they those are their trade deadline moves. You know, and we've gone over it numerous times. That Nashville one, that's the wild card for me. I, I guess David Poyle, like myself, he thinks he's going to make the playoffs. You disagree. But let's talk about the other team in that division. The yeah. Minnesota Wild. How about that one? Right. Not only did they make a couple of moves for a while there on Monday from maybe 12 to 230, 245, Parisi was on his way out of town. Almost unthinkable. It was so close that Michael Russo and the Athletic wrote it. Yeah. And, and people were reporting it as not being done, but that a lot of hurdles have been cleared. And like I said, it's almost unfathomable as popular as Zach is in Minnesota and in that room that he was willing to leave. And he had to be willing because he had to tell Billy, go ahead and make the trade. I think Zach Parisi knows that he needs some new energy, that he needs a fresh start. He is not happy with how things have gone professionally in Minnesota. Personally, it's been wonderful for him to be back home. Professionally, he's not happy with where that career is right now. And I think he under he he is probably looking around saying it could be best for me with the remainder of this contract to go get a fresh start somewhere where I can build with another team while I still have my legs and I can still play. And that's got to be the thinking. I know you were questioning before we were recording, like how does he walk back into that room 
with that feeling. Nobody's going to challenge him in that room. He's that big in that room, and that's how he walks back into it. Yeah, and the other one, before we wrap up, that we've forgotten about because it's been so crazy. And, and Ovi has been completely overshadowed by all the craziness. He scores goal 700, and then the day before the trade deadline, Montreal says, hey, let me do a favor for Alex Kovalchuk, who scored all these goals for us. Ilya Kovalchuk. I mean, you, Ilya. You them together. I'm going to make him another Alex. <laughs> let me do a favor for this guy that scored a bunch of big goals for us since we got him for a song from, yeah. from L.A., and we're going to trade him to Washington so he can play with his buddy Alex. Yeah. How do you think that's going to work out? I think it's going to be awesome. Well, it's going to be fun to watch, no question about it. But I, look, I think Ilya Kovalchuk that power is, play is good. Well, it's already great. It's though. going to be even better, and it's going to run too deep now. Yeah, it, that's true. It's it's already great. The power play, they're already legit, and I think Ilya Kovalchuk. We've talked. I think Ilya Kovalchuk is motivated again. Right. I, I think he, he realizes he doesn't want to leave the NHL again. He no. wants to play in the NHL, and he knows what he's got to do to play in the NHL. And here's an opportunity for him now to go play some significant minutes in the playoffs, go on a run potentially, and really land that next contract, which is probably going to be his last one if it's for a multi-year deal, and, and wherever that may be. But I think he's ready. And let's not forget, Alex Ovechkin – and those Capitals have played a lot of hockey in the last few years, it becomes a slog. When you can introduce something that makes it exciting for the best player on your team, you do it, especially at that cost. Yeah, absolutely. I, I They're going to be fun to watch. There's no question about it. The power play is going to be very interesting to watch. Well, I think we covered as much as we possibly could cover in the time we have for this podcast. You know what I think we did? I think we captured the spirit of the thing. I Happy birthday <laughs> to Slapshot. Well, there you go. So that'll do it for us. Trade deadline is over. Now, Sean, let's go enjoy the rest of the games. and Let's enjoy the stretch run here to the playoffs. Six weeks of basically demolition derby. It's going to be fantastic. It's going to be awesome. All right, so don't forget to rate and review us. And until next week, enjoy the games. <laughs>